I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to La Liga Lowdown and our pre-international break podcast we are here looking at what is coming up for spain for luis de la fuente spain it's a new look spain squad i'm sam leverage and i'm joined by paco polit a paco polit who has plenty going on at the moment how are you paco uh very well and uh quite excited about uh this new stage at the international scene by the spanish national side i think that we have plenty of uh you know tasty stuff to to speak about and uh, mostly on the fence with the new with the new coach. Uh, I don't really know if you know all of the sudden changes happening after Luis Enrique was not extended on his contract because ultimately you cannot say that he was fired, right? But I don't know. Luis de la Fuentes' uh, appointment is quite risky by the Spanish Federation. So yeah, as I said, on the fence with what is going to happen in the in the following uh, weeks and in the following months. But, uh, you know, we've already talked about quite a few times about uh, the um, challenge that Spain has coming up this next summer, that uh, Nations League Final Four, which, uh, you know, Spain should try to to win at, at all costs. Yeah, and I mean, this squad, I mean, it's a little bit of old news now, so we won't spend too much time on the squad selection itself. But 15 changes to the World Cup squad that, that Luis Enrique had, I mean, I'm, that's including... Jose Luis Gaia, who obviously had that World Cup disappointment being dropped at the last minute before the tournament, he's included here. We've also got some some new names, David Garcia, Martin Tubimendi, Jose Lu, a real kind of mix, and also some returning players, the likes of Nacho, um, Iago Aspas, and we'll get into the details of all of those. But Paco, just to start off with, I mean, what have you made of De La Fuente's squad? Do you think he's trying to kind of put his own mark on this team and establish a new era with a very different squad yeah i believe that he's trying to as as you said to put a spin on on the on the players being selected most of them he knows very well because he's uh, had the chance of uh, training them and coaching them and managing them in the under 21s and earlier in the under 19s and most of those games have been pretty successful with, uh, you know, results coming in, uh, championships being won. I don't know. I think that he's trying to 
surround himself of players that he really trusts, um, which was also the case back in the day with Luis Enrique. You know, he always tried to uh, deliver a very tightly knitted squad, not really thinking about names, uh, you know, and big stars, but uh, most of the times uh, surprising the fan base with appointments as, you know, back in the day when he uh, delivered plenty of confidence to Gavi which was uh, relatively unknown back in the day, and, and he surprised everyone with, with his performance. So, in a sense, I believe that De La Fuente is trying to do the same. But in this case, he's uh, much more in line with what the Spanish Federation wants. You know, he's, uh, I would say, a lower-key manager. His uh, press conferences are not that, you know, um, not that spicy. Most of the time, he doesn't have really a, that kind of rapport and mm, that standoffish attitude with the with the press. And actually quite the contrary, you know, I think that De La Fuente has a very good relationship with most of the uh, national um, journalists who are often following the steps of, of the Spanish national team. So overall, I think that most of his selections make sense. Uh, actually, I think that this squad is much more powerful in front and at the same time weaker at the back. But we also have a new Spain captain, of course, Sergio Busquets, retired Jordi Alba. Um, I'm not sure he's actually confirmed his retirement, but he's not been included in this squad by De La Fuente. And that means we have a new captain, and that is Alvaro Morata, who has been the longest-serving Spain player, the most caps of any of the current squads. So he is the first captain, as they like to say in Spain. Mm-hmm. But then there have been some surprises. So the second captain is Rodri, the Manchester City midfielder, who is on 39 caps, mm-hmm. way behind Morata on 61. And then we have Carvajal, Dani Carvajal, the Real Madrid right-back, who is the third captain. And the fourth-choice captain, this is where we break the mould a little bit, is Miquel Ayorzabal. Um, Paco, tell us a little bit about why that's a different choice and why it's a little bit surprising from the left-wing thing. Um, because uh, he's 21 caps with the Spanish national side. We're talking about the grown-ups, but he has played a lot with the under-21s and the under-19s, under-18s. He has been very, very important to Luis de la Fuente uh, in all of his stints on the, you know, uh, lower-tier national squads, and and that kind of relevance has been um, moved on to to the absolute side. Uh, Oyarzabal was also very important to Luis Enrique, but he was unfortunate to suffer that knee injury, which uh, left him out of the World Cup. And uh, even though players like Nacho, for example, with 22 caps, or Dani Olmo, who has 29 under his belt, are uh, you know more experienced than Oyarzabal, his gravitas, his relevance, he's one of the you know uh, stars of Real Sociedad. Uh, he has always delivered when playing for, for Spain in all of the different categories. So uh, De La Fuente decided that he's going to, he was going to be the fourth captain, I believe, in a, in a, in a very good move because ultimately um, we always think about Rodri and um, Carvajal might be very experienced, Morata too. Rodri might be, you know, 10, 39 caps, but he's quite young. But Oyarzabal, he's possibly... If not in his prime, he's now in that kind of uh, maturity stage where he can help quite a lot inside of of the pitch and also outside. You know, Luis de la Fuente wants to have that kind of tight locker room also in in check. 
and and that's why he he has been appointed. I think that the four captains is some sort of you know passing of the of the baton to the new generation. Uh, Busquets was the last one to you know of the last survivor of the golden age of Spanish football to to retire. And uh, for example, Rodri as the second captain and also main starter in that uh, defensive midfielder position, I think that uh, is the perfect example of the of the new blood coming into the into a national team. Yeah, and as you say, I mean, Rodri is five years younger than Danny Carabajal, but has actually played six more games for Spain, which was kind of one of the things, stats that shocked me when I saw this about the captains. But I think there's a lot more change across this squad. I mean, there are a few players who've been called up who have dropped out. Brian Hill is the latest um, to drop out with an injury. Gerard Moreno is another. Um, there have been a couple of players that have had to drop out. But we've seen with some of these returning players and so on, there's plenty of of spice, as you put it earlier. Iago Aspas in his press conference before this game against Norway spoke about his return. And I think the the line that really stuck out, somebody asked him about Luis Enrique. And I think when you're watching these kind of press conferences, you're, you're expecting that that was his choice. We were into something else now. But he didn't hold back at all. I mean, he kind of said, I didn't agree with what Luis Enrique said. The stats are there to prove it. Yeah. Um, and I think there was one line that somebody asked him about him being included in his fantasy football team. Yeah. Um, and I think he replied that I'm sure he was one of, he was a friend of one of you guys who gave me good results in the in the <laughs> ratings and so on. So, I mean, Paco, I mean, what do we make of, of this? I mean, for Iago Aspas, one, to come back into the squad. I mean, he's not getting any younger, is he? I mean, one of the reasons that Sergio Ramos wasn't included was supposedly because of the fact that he was too old and that De La Fuente wants to look at younger players. Iago Aspas is 35 coming back into the picture. And also the fact that he speaks so openly kind of against Luis Enrique. What does that say about the dynamics within the squad? Well, that's, uh, you know, it's the perfect example of uh, um, some players, I wouldn't say retaliating, but, you know, uh, having the last say on some of Luis Enrique's uh, decision making. Uh, Gaia was also, I think he was a bit more uh, lenient towards uh, Luis Enrique when he was interviewed earlier this week about his absence in the World Cup regarding his injury. Um, you know, he was smart enough to not speak out against the manager back in the day during the World Cup, even though it was a big blow for him uh, mentally and, and sports-wise. And that paid off ultimately because the manager was, you know, substituted and replaced by Luis de la Fuente, who has uh, immediately, um, you know, delivered him the confidence necessary to to return to the, to the national team. Whereas for Aspas, his absence was, you know, a, a sore thumb sticking out for from most of the of the lineups uh, by Luis Enrique in the last couple of years, and ultimately the player, the player, and most of players know when they are, uh, you know, when they deserve the call and when they don't. And most of the times, for I would say a number of reasons, players who are not at the top of their game are called by the national team, and they later, you know, deliver back that kind of confidence to the manager. And in other times, some players are um, sorely absent from those calls and they don't forget about it. And in Diago Aspas's case, I think that he's uh, there have been over two years, I believe, of absence. 
they have been very harsh on him because he was consistently one of Celtics' best players, if not the best. And that's why he said many times that he was, in some sense, uh, you know, relaxed and happy about most of the of the fans in most of the grounds in Spain demanding his presence with Spain because that spoke about that he had the, you know, uh, popular vote, you know, in, in his place. So then, Paco, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here and we can kind of run through what we think might be the lineup to play against Norway. Let's start off in goal. We've got three goalkeepers, Kepa, Robert Sanchez and David Raya, two from the Premier League there. Well, all three of them actually from the Premier League now, I think about it. Who do you think is the most likely to start with those three goalkeepers? I think that Kepa is going to be the starter. I was very, very surprised about Unai Simon's uh, absence because so far this season, you know, he's been um, pretty consistent with Athletic Club, um, who are on the run to, you know, fight for European spots. But uh, if we have to pick about the, the three keepers, I think Kepa... Um, has managed to overcome some of the problems uh, adapting to to the Premier League and ultimately he has the most experience of the three. So Kepa is going to be the starter 99% of the time. Yeah, I think even if someone is out injured still at the moment, isn't he? He's been out for about a month. Yeah. And there was talk he could be back in time for this international break, but he hasn't made it. So it'll be interesting to see if he makes the squad next time around if he's fit. Then in defence, I think one of the nailed-on positions seems to be Danny Carvajal at right back. Then in terms of the the central defenders, there's there's some interesting choices with Nacho and Davi Garcia coming. Do you think we could see any surprises, or do you think Aymeric Laporte will keep his place? What do you reckon? Um, I think that between it's going to be between Laporta and Inigo Martinez. I think that uh, one of those two are going to be the the starter alongside Nacho. I think that Lu Luis de la Fuente also favors trying to take advantage of the forms of the players. And at this point, this season, uh, Nacho has been, at least in the first three months of 2023, has been much more consistent and much more relevant to Real Madrid, who are fighting for everything at this point, than both Inigo Martinez and Laporte. So I think that Nacho is a given, and alongside him, between Laporte and, and Inigo Martinez, I I think that uh, Laporte's uh, physical issues might hinder him a bit. So maybe Inigo Martinez-Nacho uh, at the back with Carvajal on, on one wing. And uh, between Gaia and Valde... I don't really know who De La Fuente is going to choose. You know, uh, Earlier this week, I could have said uh, Gaia was going to be the starter because of his experience and because he's much more mature than, than Balde. But, you know, so far, Balde is playing most of the games with Barca and, and, and he's uh, doing great. So that is going to be a tricky choice for, for the manager. 100%. And then we can, can take a look at the midfield. I think Rodri seems to be one of the leaders, so we'd expect that he'd start possibly ahead of Martin Zubimendi in that holding role. And then the two who play ahead of him, what do you think we can expect there in the middle? I think there's quite a few players competing for those positions. Yes, and also I believe that um, De La Fuente might go into something much more traditional. You know, back in the day, uh, Luis Enrique often went into the 4-3-3 tactics in order to have much more you know ball possession in the midfield but 
I think that Luis de la Fuente might try something different with two forwards uh, up front, trying to open the, the pitch as much as he can. So, yes, as you said, Rodri is going to play. Um, alongside him, maybe uh, Mikel Merino might be the, the, the player who is able to, to you know, be the most uh, complementary on, on his uh, different qualities. Uh, and with those two in the middle... Maybe uh, both uh, Ceballos and Gabi, because of, of their mobility, Ceballos can both play as a winger and later play in the middle. Gabi can be all, all around the pitch because he has shown that he is able to press very high. He's going to uh, move the ball around, pass it around. He's able to, to challenge the ball, to, to tackle, to pressure. So that line of four with Rodri and Nikel uh, Merino with Ceballos and Gabi on the wings... And later, you know, the, the choice comes down to to the forwards. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty to choose from, right? I mean, Iago Aspas or Celu, obviously Alvaro Morata as the captain, you'd expect him to be starting. Do you think he'll go with Iago Aspas or Joselu or or could he go with somebody a little bit more outside the box? I mean, Mikel Ayotabal could play in a central role. Mm. If we wanted, maybe even Dani Olmo more in a deeper role. That's a different kind of tactical choice, isn't it? Yes, you have. That's what I said earlier. I think that the the range of of choices for the manager is is much higher than the one that that uh, Luis Enrique had back in the day. You know, he wanted to include Ansu Fati, even the even though he wasn't hundred percent in uh, in his health, and and that showed in some of the uh, games that Spain had to unlock, and they were unable to do so because of all of the fuss surrounding his appointment this week. I think Yao Aspas is going to start the game. And my main uh, doubt is, you know, involved with uh, his companion. I think that maybe Morata Aspas, because of their different levels of, you know, of uh, qualities and advantages, they are able to, you know, Morata play as a, like a pure number nine inside the box, whereas more, uh, Aspas is much more mobile. But again, if you switch... Uh, Morata for Oyarzabal, he would be, you know, in my view, as as uh, powerful as and as um, proper uh, number nine as as Morata. So maybe Morata Aspas, they might be the starters. But I believe that in these two choices, I think that the that the range of of options for for the coach is the highest, and most of the choices might be pretty great. You know, m most of the combos that, that you can deliver in, in those two positions are, are great. So I'll go with Morata and Aspas, even though Oyarzabal and Aspas wouldn't be half bad. Interesting team, yeah. And I mean, obviously they'll come up against the Norwegian team who weren't at the World Cup, but do include some familiar names. Martin Odegaard, obviously now Arsenal, who was with Real Sociedad and Real Madrid as well. Um, and Alexander Soloth. The Real Sociedad forward who will be in the starting lineup, but they won't be Erling Haaland. He's out with an injury, a groin problem. That means that he has gone back to Manchester. So, Paco, I'm going to put you right on the spot and then we can wrap it up for part one. What's your prediction for this game? Well, even though it's not really, uh, you know, ultimately there's nothing on the line. Um, we're talking about trying to get up to par with a new squad, trying to get that kind of gelling of the of the team together by by Luis de la Fuente i think that spain are the favorites uh Haaland's absence i think it's unfortunate because i always you know favor uh the opposite teams having 100% their their full potential and and trying to to beat them in 
in their own terms obviously makes the the game a bit easier for for Spain but I, I see a Spanish win even though it's not going to be a landslide it's going to be a very close game maybe a 2-1 scoreline for for Spain um and even a draw I think a 2-1 would be a uh, a good prediction, uh, if you ask me. Yeah, sounds realistic. So stay tuned. We will be back because obviously we have that game at the weekend, Saturday night in Malaga. Very nice place to be Malaga in early spring um, for this one. But then on Tuesday night, it's a very different setting as Spain travel to Glasgow and take on Scotland. And we'll be back with some build up for that one. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to part two. And now we have let Paco go and get himself a drink and instead we've got Rory who's joined us Rory Barlow from the La Liga Lowdown squad and obviously as our resident Scotsman we had to get him on to preview the game against Scotland which I believe is at Hampton Park on Tuesday night is that right Rory? Yes I believe so that it tends to be the case I I feel I'm very outnumbered now because we used to have a, three Scots at one point with Ewan McTierra and Andrew Miller but just me remaining so I'll be uh, punted out soon no doubt like every time there's more Spanish people involved and they're kicking us all out, Rory. But <laughs> glad because there's a lot less abuse for England when we inevitably lose. So <laughs> I don't have any complaints. But Spain versus Scotland, this isn't a game we've seen too often over the years. It's been 12 years since the last meeting between these two teams. Rory, what can we expect from this Scotland team? Are they going to make life difficult for Spain? Are they going to go for the win? What, what do you think this is going to be like in terms of the spectacle? I think in Scotland at Hamden, this could potentially be a difficult game for Spain because as much as I'm not going to sing too many of Scotland's praises, they are these days an organised, solid side. And if there's one thing that we know Spain don't like, or at least didn't like under Luis Enrique, then 
it was solid organized sides that sit back if you cast your mind back to the greases and the georges of this world which scotland should in theory be able to match up to then then yeah spain really struggled against those sides that would sit deeper against them how Luis de la fuente sets up his side if he goes a bit more direct then that might aid them in sort of getting a bit of joy at this out of the scotland squad but you yeah cast your minds back to the last time that they met then it was free to uh in scotland at hamden i believe it was back in alan hudson's heyday a former uh real mallorca star in inverted commas and uh and yeah that was the world champions that were up against scotland in those days and uh i think if scotland can pull off kind of a similar performance where they rise to the occasion then they've certainly got enough to cause spain trouble are spain still heavy favorites then yeah of course they are yeah i mean I mean, I'm only going to be watching this game or just to see Alvaro Morata go up against Grant Hanley, who is possibly the most Scottish <laughs> Scottish defenders. That's six foot two tall and six foot four, six foot two wide, and just that rough kind of rugged defender who could give the Spanish forwards a tough evening in the Glasgow weather as well. I imagine that might not be the most comfortable evening of Alvaro Morata Yaguaspas's life. Um, go on then, Rory, just to finish up. What's your prediction? For this game i'm gonna go with two on spain just because i think spain will be probably on a high they've got that game on the saturday they're under a new manager there's a lot of pressure to kind of impress and so i think there'll be a big enthusiasm about this game for for spain and well as as i'm sure you've mentioned with paco 15 16 new faces in this squad so perhaps there could be issues gelling but i think there'll be enough enthusiasm from the spanish side to just about get one over on scotland too as good as they were against England in the Euros tend to struggle against the bigger sides when it comes to the really kind of top end of, of European qualification so yeah 2-1 for Spain is my prediction but yeah don't necessarily count Scotland out as, as much as I would have done in the past five six years It should be a, an interesting game and then we will see the Scottish invasion of Spain in October in the reverse fixture and I don't think they've announced yet where it will be held but it could be an interesting an interesting one with almost as many Scottish people as Spanish people in the stands, I imagine. I foresee a few people coming to stay that weekend, whenever it is. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks for joining us, Rui. All the best. Cheers, Sam. And now back with Paco, and we're going to take a look beyond the Spanish national team and look at everything else that's going on in La Liga. Since the start of the international break, we've had two managerial casualties. Pablo Machin has left Elche and Jorge Sampaoli has left Sevilla, two of the teams down at the bottom fighting relegation and so on. And they've got plenty to, to fight for in these last few weeks. We've seen the two appointments come in and I think they're kind of completely contrasting appointments. Sevilla gone for Jose Luis Mendilva, who is a guy with over 400 games in La Liga, 400 years of experience, as he called it in his press conference <laughs> with a slip of the tongue, um, compared to Elche, who have gone with possibly the most Elche appointment possible, Sebastián Becacete, I think. Becacete. Becacete. Joe, I would say that there must be some kind of Italian, uh, you know, ancestor over there. So Becacese or Becacete, 
you know, Becacece seems fine with me, uh, even I though I believe... I hear the different pronunciations that we get. Yeah, I think that Roman Arcade is going to have a field day with that once again. Uh, if you guys listening to this don't know, Roman Arcade is our expert pronunciation uh, master. And, uh, you know, he has had his fair share of controversy surrounding Kesi or Kesie. Well, let's not go into that one already. But, Don't open yeah. that debate up again. Roman is the going to be the one to to ask to. Yeah, well, I mean, Becacete, Becacheche, however yeah. you say it. He has never coached in Spain before. He's the coming from, from Argentina. He's only 42 years old. And his record isn't necessarily that bad. I mean, defense and his defense equals Justicia, which is where he, mm-hmm. he was up until September. Um, he finished second with them in 2021 in the Argentinian First Division. He's previously been with Racing Club, with Independiente, with Universidad de Chile. That's where he started his coaching career. And he was also the assistant to Jorge Sampaoli, obviously, um, with the Argentine national team. So the total opposite of Mendelibar. Paco, let's start with Sevilla, with Mendelibar. For me, it's a weird one because they just seem to change so violently with these coaching appointments. I mean, to go from Julian Lopetegui to Jorge Sampaoli to Jose Luis Mendeliba, there doesn't seem to be much strategy behind that. Yes, uh, because most of the, you know, all of the the drama behind the scenes uh, is related to the choices made by uh, Monchi as the sports director because um, we have to explain it a bit. Monchi favoured trying to bring in uh, Jose Bordalas but at the same time, Jose Bordalas uh, was asking for an um, additional year after the three months remaining this season of competition. He was asking for, uh, we're not talking about money here or salary, we're talking about just his contract to not be just to try to save the team from, rele- from relegation, but also to add an additional year plus after the summer. Um, because Bordalas was 100% sure that he would be able to save the team. So um, after all of the mistakes being made this season, um, Sevilla just went the the easier route in this sense because obviously Mendiriba and Bordalas have nothing to do with each other. It's like talking about, I don't know, a, a lion and a, a, a zebra. Like they're absolute polar opposites, especially the way they, they favor their, their teams to play. So... Mendelibar was free, he's experienced, he's used to those kinds of teams fighting for their lives in the final uh, match days of any season. And I think that he will get the job done. Both of them in my book are are great managers. Mendelibar has that kind of uh, traditional sense to him. Uh, he's very soft-spoken, he knows how to manage players, try to bring in some uh, hope to them, some confidence to them, and I think as he's going to turn things around in the remaining 12 games, and he will get the job done. My main question is if Mendilibar will continue uh, at Sevilla from June onwards, because I think that uh, all of the issues plaguing Sevilla are not related to their manager appointments. I think that is part of the problem, but uh, the core part of the problem remains within the squad composition, the sports direction, and especially all of the ruckus surrounding the club with, uh, you know, fans being um, unhappy with how the club is being run. Um, Pepe Castro, you know, uh, being in the in the line of fire for most of the time. 
So even if Sevilla are able to remain in La Liga, their problems won't be over for them. Uh, whereas for Elche, I think that this disappointment is much more strategic, Sam, think, thinking about next season in Segunda División, because I think that uh, Becacete exactly. is... I think, you're, I think you're being kind to Elche, who are on the sixth yeah, of the ob- season, to say it's strategic. Yeah, but also the, you know, most of the time, when a team is relegated in in spirit, as Elche's case is this season, they try to get in some kind of caretaker manager in order to be in charge for the remaining 10, eight, six games. In this case, I think that this manager has, you know, uh, Christian Bragarnik's footprints all over him. You know, Elche's um, owner is Argentinian. He has a very close relationship with most of the Argentinian agents, former players, managers, coaches, etc. And he picked uh, Becacete as a, you know, doorway into European football. So thinking about next season already, uh, I think he has tried to, you know, bring in uh, this manager as a test run in the remaining games in La Liga so he can get used to the team, try to detect all of the issues plaguing the side, make some changes during the summer and try to build up from the ground up um, a consistent side who is capable of, you know, uh, fighting for promotion next season. So disappointment is random, I would say, but also pretty expected from Bragarnik, who four managers in a row this season. Machin, he tried everything, but I think that Elche have been very unfortunate. You know, he has been at the helm, I believe, for 12 games, only two wins. But mo- most of their draws and defeats came like in the last minutes or in extra time, or they they were very unfortunate, very unlucky in in many plays, which also speaks about whenever you are doomed as a as a team. Since the beginning of the season, seems like everything goes south. Okay, and that was what's happened with Elche this year. Yeah, I mean, I think I am Pablo Machin's number one fan at all times. I think he's a an underappreciated coach, to put it that way. I was very surprised that LJ decided to sack him, but hmm. I guess if you're looking to the future, you're already planning for life in Segunda, maybe Pablo Bacin doesn't want to take that. And if that's the case, then then it could make sense. But I mean, LJ have averaged 2.6 points per coach this season, which is yeah. a rather remarkable stat. So, I mean, if Sebastián Becatete can just pick up one win on his debut, then he'll already be doing better than the average. But, I mean, it's going to be a, a long, hard slog to the end of the season for Elche. So let's call it a wrap there. Thank you very much, Paco, for joining us. Thank you, Sam. And stay tuned to La Liga Lowdown across our sub-stack, where we're having all of the latest about everything in Spanish football, any more managerial casualties, you never know. Luis de la Fuente's debut and, and all that's going on there. And then we will also be back with another podcast after the international break to break down those first two matches with Luis de la Fuente as Spain's coach. Thanks for listening.